and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hey everyone, this is Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode 504. So after all, it seems like it's an eternity, but it's not. It's only been since December. But the way life goes, sometimes a month, month and a half can be like an eternity. That with all the up in the airness of not having a permanent co-host, even though Dan's kind of almost been de facto permanent co-host. Uh, it seems that way since he's, been, since he's been on so much over the past like half a year anyway. but. We figured it was time to officially announce the permanent co-host to join me on the show. And that co-host will be Corwin. No, wait. Corman wanted too much money. That's right. Uh, it's Chad. Chad's actually back. <laughs> Welcome back, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's great. It wasn't an easy decision. <laughs> it was stiff competition. Oh man, uh, you're, you're, you're lucky Corman doesn't come cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, always about underbidding, and I'm <laughs> used to cutting out the competition. Um, <laughs> if he's not answering your voicemails, there may be a reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me back. Actually, uh, I just finished up the Parallax episode today. I was able to finish that that one up, and uh, I would. Listening to it, I was grocery shopping and doing a bunch of other stuff the other way the other day. That was a good conversation you guys had. Well, thank you. Actually, it's one. I will have to admit, even when the I was prepping for it, I was hoping this was going to be the case. And then after finishing it and then listening it through it or listening to it, I should say, and going through it all again during the editing process. Yeah, I think it's one of the it's one of my favorite episodes. It's certainly one of the episodes I think I'm proudest of, as far not just because of its my brainchild because that'd be a little too narcissistic but just because it was how you imagine something could go you know the the expectation versus the reality it could it, it could have ended up a, a lot less coherent and comprehensive than it did so but for the most part i think it worked about as well as we could, i could have hoped for no i think at one point it made me think like i don't know if it would make a good episode or probably make a better dan you know mosaic comics video if i'm being honest because at least there he'll be able to like show the panels and stuff like that somebody needs to dissect like word for word what it what they act what the comics actually say about the retcon of the fear bug like in terms of how influenced was how was like what because dan dan briefly mentioned it and i was thinking about it the entire time y'all were getting to that point i was like no 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 no. parallax was unconscious and in the battery and swimming in the stuff and he didn't gain full strength until you know what blah 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 but like 
I know I read that, or at least what I read led me to believe that, but what does the text actually say? If we're not reading into it and making assumptions, what is the the narrative, Hal's own words, the Spectre's own words, Parallax's own words? And I don't think they only talk about it in Rebirth. They they talk about it a bit more like throughout the John's run here and there. And maybe even a little in Venditti's. I don't think he got into it that much. But did we all just collectively assume that or did the text actually say that? I think it goes back and forth, actually, uh, because, again, one of, the, one of the things I lamented was the fact that we didn't spend as much time. The only one surprise in that episode was the fact that we did not spend as much time in the John's the rebirth part of the John's era as much as I would have expected us to, even though when you really break it down, the fear bug reveal is the biggest thing to come from it. But specifically the Kyle stuff, because there's so many there's so much stuff about Kyle being parallaxed, which is questionable from a power set perspective, since he had yeah. none when he became the host. But also that one shot, which completely if you look at it from what they showed us in the Kyle parallax one shot, that gave you an entirely potentially different view on what par- being possessed, quote unquote, by parallax was like. Oh, you mean uh, Kyle's am I, if I'm remembering it right, because it's been a long time, Kyle's dream or whatever that he had. That kind of empty headspace he was in is kind of like an artistic. It is artistic. I wouldn't know if yeah. I would describe it as a dream, but just but but yeah, but the pictures like ones of his mom or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that that whole thing. That's what he's clinging on to is basically trying to hold on to himself. But the idea that he's walled off there, like I think you I think they show you in that one shot, like his per, his perspective, like he was like crying out and reaching out when his physical body was like killing Jack T. Chance and things like that. So that kind of gave, would give you a different view on how much Parallax, yeah, how much Parallax actually possessed you versus how much it influenced you. And then again, maybe like stuff we talked about and Dan mentioned too, the idea that he was weaker when he first woke up and he had a means to an end and, and placating Hal was good enough, just kind of like being the devil on his shoulder, whispering in his ear maybe and letting Hal do it, you know, and just, having Hal essentially do what he wanted to do, but just kind of steer him in that, steer him in that direction. But then when he became more powerful, then he was, then he was more controlling. So, but yeah, yeah thought, you, you use the analogy of devil on the shoulder. While y'all were, while I was listening, I was thinking it's kind of, it's, it's like the scales of justice, but they're not balanced. One of them, it, there's already like five ounces on the side of evil or the bad decision or whatever you would think it's already tilted one way. But so it's still it's still Hal's decision to put more weight on that side. But there is something there that's already pushing him there. Right. Yeah. No, that was interesting. And and uh, yeah, that would that would have been fun. And then I, I'm shocked. I left the voicemail. You didn't talk about the teeth at all. I did talk about it once. <laughs> Just once. But yeah. for as often as you bring it up. Well, because I I understand. I mean, and I think Dan even talked about it. Just the just the. Just the idea that it gets us to set it's to set off. It's almost like a go to thing now It's like to set off the fact that, you know, someone is possessed by parallax because you have to you at some point you have to see the teeth, even if it's not immediate, though. Mostly these days they do give you the immediate look, which is garbage because it's not like Hal had it immediately. So why would anybody? But either way, again, we could go back and dissect that about, again, the power set and, and how weak parallax was at the time. But yeah. yeah, I I I I hate it. I hate it more just because it ruins the classic parallax look, the Hal Jordan parallax look. And plus, they didn't give it to Sinestro. 
right? Did they give it to Sinestro at all? Uh, no, but I think they might have explained. Again, this could just be me in my own head putting words that aren't there. I think they explained it in a way that Sinestro was in control, in full control of Parallax. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just thinking back at unlike Barry, who my God, that's the one I think of when I think of over exaggerated teeth and claws and all that stuff. Well, even Gantha, even though yeah. Gantha was really oversized too, which doesn't make a particularly lot of sense, right? At some point in Rebirth. But yeah, I I just hate it because it I hate it a because it ruins the classic parallax how Jordan Parallax look which is fantastic and because now it's become almost like the de facto which is which is why that makes that that Funko Pop even so important that it, it that it's the classic non stupid jagged teeth version. I mean that I mean and for all its issues the McFarlane figure too. Yes, that is true. The McFarlane figure grows on me a tad just because again if you view it almost as a Kind of like a variation on the Convergence Parallax, which, again, is supposed to be the Zero Hour Parallax. But even the way they wrote that miniseries, it, they screwed it up. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's it's it, the colors are too dark and that chest thing is. But it but it looks enough like Parallax where you can live with it. It just sucks that when you compare it to all the other figures, it just it stands out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And then I uh, obviously it wasn't there for the wrap of a dark crisis. But holy God, that end on a whimper. Uh, there's some good stuff, especially in some of those one shots that came out. But in terms of the event as it's of, of itself, my God. Uh, and yeah, I left voicemails to the effect. But ending with Amanda Waller and the Suicide Squad. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Uh, that that's that's our cliffhanger for a summer event, quote unquote summer event. I don't I don't know. That's it's and it's it's supposed to be a crisis event, but it didn't really change much, did it? So like, I, yeah. I don't. There's really nothing to say that hasn't already been said or even said in the episodes that I was on because I was complaining about this the entire time. Like, it just does not feel consequential in the slightest. But there we go. Proof's in the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> and you stepped in a lot of pudding in that miniseries. <laughs> there was there's a lot of there was a lot of good moments and not just in Dark Crisis, but like in the entirety of the Infinite Frontier stuff that we got. But on the whole, much like we talk about, like the Robert Venditti stuff sort of starts off OK, but ends with a whimper. I feel like a lot of that Justice League Incarnate and then, you know, Infinite Frontier stuff and, you know, you know, this, that and the other and then Dark Crisis. A lot of the same stuff happened there. There's some good. I don't even know that. I don't even know that starting strong, like you would say, for a Robert Venditti story in Green Lantern is the same comparison there, but at least had a, had good moments, but also ended with a whimper. It's just, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I collected the whole thing. Cause I was like, I'm going to see it through. And plus the collector in me was like, I can't have half the event. I got to have the, I got to have the whole thing from, from the infinite frontier one shots, uh, or, or even before that, it was the, um, future state the future oh, state yes. stuff, all the way to the end of dark crisis and i got all the crossovers and when i say i got all the crossovers of dark crisis guys i mean i bought the issues yes i did um i hadn't done that since i since uh king and black with marvel's uh venom but yeah and i hadn't done that with dc since blackest night maybe um but i was intent to see it through and have the whole thing so um Good decision, bad decision. Who knows? Uh, I got the first appearance of Red Canary. <laughs> <If> it matters. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't. 
I'm excited to see where we go from here. There's lots of news that has me sort of, uh, and speaking of news, um, there's so much that's uh, supposed to come out probably between as we record this and the time this episode releases in terms of the future of the DC studios. So uh, James Gunn promised that there would be news about the DC schedule, the DC schedule or what's been not the entirety, I would assume of the, the, of the plans for DC studios, but uh, he said something would be announced before the end of January. So as we record this, it's towards the end of January. We've got about six or seven days or so or whatever. Um, so, <laughs> Clock's ticking, dude. Uh, Pizza Dude's got 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> to quote one of my favorite movies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. Um, we'll. I guess we'll see. Uh, we are I, I, keeping you in tradition. The Lantern Cast is infamous about talking about things and recording an episode and then posting it and then shit about what we just talked about releases. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I've been out and about and recording and that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, appeared on a couple of shows. I'll just give them some shout outs because they, they were kind enough to have me on. Um, uh, Aaron head Moss over on the Headcast network had me on episode, uh, 68 of his show, uh, entitled the power of James Gunn and BTP talked, uh, uh, about a, uh, an issue of power of the atom, which I, I, I have, the uh the miniseries and the specials for sword of the atom because that's a huge you know when people talk dc series you're supposed to read uh if you break it down by character one of the important ones for the atom is sword of the atom so i have that and i've read it but i didn't know that it was so popular that it begat its own series power of the atom which according to aaron (laughs) because i never read the series and i don't see it in back issue bins uh at least in my own personal experience it was the Sword of the Atom was so popular at birthday series called Power of the Atom. And even though it popularity of Sword of the Atom was thus that at birth this series, they restored the Atom to his standard operating procedure um, within the first issue <laughs> of this series. So <laughs> DC bit themselves in the ass, uh, if you're asking me. <laughs> um and then we talked about DC Studios. Uh, he also, it's as yet unreleased, but we talked about an issue of Starman uh, during the Will Payton era of Starman. Also, a side of DC I had never read. So that should be over on his uh, Headcast Network. And you can find links to where that's at on podcast platforms over on headcastnetwork.com. Uh, I enjoy, I joined Cisco, Cisco, Cisco. <laughs> See, that's not even where I figured you would go with that with Cisco. I figured, I figured you'd go with the flash, but maybe, but call me naive. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Ciscoid over on, uh, the fire and water podcast network. One of the shows over there is called panel by panel. And basically he's got this like rotating digital wheel over there and it like picks a decade and it picks a comic and it picks or a publisher then it picks a comic and it picks an issue. And then it picks a specific panel or a specific page, a specific panel randomly. And then you talk about the art of that one panel, any context you may do is it's called panel by panel. And we actually discussed uh, an issue of Aquaman, Aquaman number 57, which is right in the middle of the uh, death of the Prince storyline. Um, so that was fun. Uh, there's no episode numbers over there on panel by panel. It's just called panel by panel gripping Aquaman. Um, so check that out if you want. It's part of the fire and water podcast network. And then our good friend Corwin uh, was nice enough to 
have me on over with Thatcher and Viet um, as part of EMX talking about the X-Men books for the month of December. Um, it's episode 114 called What's Going On. Um, and I was thrilled to join him because, man, my girl Firestar is back. She's been voted back as part of the main X-Men team as of the Hellfire Gala um, special not too long ago. Um, but much like uh, I learned I don't know much about Power of the Atom series or don't know much about the Will Payton era of Starman. Uh, I'm utterly lost in where X-Men is at right now because ever since of uh, House of X and Powers of Ten, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why it's happening. And basically all 12 or so uh, series out uh, from Marvel involving the X-Family is knee-deep in that shit. Uh, so it's very, very hard to get entry-level understandings uh, on any of the series that come out. Uh, maybe most accessible out there to you folks. If you like Harley Quinn, if you like the feel that Harley Quinn books give you these days, a little bit of comedy and stuff like that, there is a book out there called Exterminators. It's a, it's a fun little book. Uh, lots of stupidity and near nudity and, uh, goofiness and stupid bullshit that goes on in that book. Um, but it's also still involved in all the shit that's going on with the X-Men. So, um, I learned that while I was appearing on all these various shows, I know not whereof I speak. But here, <laughs> here, here, I know a lot of whereof I speak. <laughs> it's good to it's good should to be should a lanternologist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's good to poll. be a lanternologist. <laughs> poll time, poll time on that one. Yes, I, grass is grass is always greener, isn't it? <laughs> all right. So all of that aside, what are we talking about tonight? Well, just in time. Uh, Came back just in time, so now we can do our <laughs> annual movie preview episode. Kismet. Yes. Got to keep a good thing rolling. <laughs> yeah, so it's a uh, what is what's the title, man? You 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 say it every year. I don't know what is the title. Isn't the title <laughs> the annual movie? Ch- oh, Chad and Mark go to the movies. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, our our usual list of must sees. Stuff that's pretty much in the middle and the old monkey crap list. Yeah. Which so again, for further definite, for, for my definition of the monkey crap list, again, it's not stuff that I don't think I'm up, I'm going. It's not necessarily stuff that I'm not going to see. It's stuff that I don't really care about one way or the other. <laughs> one way, whether I see it or not, I'm not looking forward to it particularly. Yeah. 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 The uh, not necessarily looking forward to. Likely we'll see regardless of right. friends or. Yep. Almost digital. Uh, yeah, platforms. I would say probably at least yeah. I would say probably at least 60, 70 percent of what I wrote on my on my list is stuff I, I'm sure I'm going to see in the theater. It's just that I have my enthusiasm level for it is like hovering like a 10 percent. For sure. For sure. All right. So top five list. We're starting with number five. Who goes first? Well, did we should shouldn't we start with the honorable mention first? Oh, the, our number six? Yeah, the quote-unquote number six, the the one that just missed the list. <laughs> um, I can go first if you need to figure out which one you want. Yeah, because I was still dancing between two. Okay, for me, number six is Guardians. Okay. It's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yeah. It didn't make the list. It was close. I am interested in it. The trailer looks, the trailer looks pretty decent. I am curious about... And we talked about some of this when we talked about the trailer, the only trailer we've gotten so far, even though they're who know, they sh- you would assume there'll be another one before Ant-Man comes out. But 
I think while it looks interesting, I have my concerns about what they're going to do with the high evolutionary. I want to see what they do with Adam Warlock. The Guardians, I've as weird because I've warmed to some of the Guardians, but obviously there's a whole bunch of Guardians that really do nothing for me, including Drax and include and Rocket comes and goes, mostly coming lately. And I think Groot will be better now that he's not a freaking annoying teenager anymore. But Peter can Peter so so. I'm not sure what the whole how the whole Gamora storyline is going to work. And while we and we know somebody dies, whether it's more than one Guardian or not, I'm probably willing to bet it's going to be more than one. But we know at least one is going to die in this movie. So I'm curious about it. It is it is the Marvel movie I'm second most interested in. But based on just well, this year will be pretty dispassionate for me overall. This whole this this entire all the movies we're going to talk about, there just wasn't enough of a enthusiasm i think for marvel phase five enough to put this movie into the top five yeah guardians is a is a mixed bag for me right now if i'm being honest like uh i'm i'm very curious about where they're gonna go you know the gamora side of this thing i did get a chance to see the christmas special which i rather enjoyed um it uh, i i I enjoyed more than i thought i would i didn't necessarily think it was going to be bad or anything but it was it was a good time did you think Uh, it started out well I thought no. it started out. I, I I was really concerned about like the first five minutes, and it definitely it definitely picked up a little bit more once you got once once you got more Mantis. Not so much yeah. Drax, but once Mant I think Mantis really helped save that. Yes, uh, the Mantis stuff was cool. Um, I I really enjoyed the revelation that you know, and, and honestly, I, I wouldn't even call it a revelation because if you really even thought about it for half of a second, you you could come to the conclusion that they are indeed related. Plus, um, plus, there's some of that artwork with him coupling the people in the background that you see someone yeah, yeah, who looks like Mantis's yeah, mom. Exactly, exactly. So you, 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 if you thought about it and really paid attention, you could, t- you, you could come to that conclusion. But it was still touching nonetheless. So I enjoyed that. So I'm sort of general curiosity around all of that and the, you know, the next chapter in this line and stuff. But I think honestly, in terms of actual, man, what's going to happen or what's this going to be or like genuine curiosity as opposed to as, as opposed to just sort of, eh, we'll see. And uh, I guess I'm, you know, it should be a fun movie. Uh, honestly, I'm more curious about Warlock. What, what's that, what that's going to look like because in terms of, you know, uh, Marvel characters that I really enjoy and actually bought trades of, I have several trades of Adam Warlock stuff. I have no trades of guardian stuff. So, um, I'm very curious about Adam Warlock and, uh, Sorry to say it, folks. I'm uh, I'm very I'm I'm more curious about the soundtrack. What are the choices going to be for the for the playlist? Because I I honestly I really do dig both soundtracks. Um, uh, ever since the second movie came out, and obviously a lot of people prefer the first soundtrack. I like them both. I do prefer the first one, but ever since the second one came out, man, Brandy has returned to one of my top five. Like I don't know top five, but like you know, top favorite songs to kind of put on and just sing, you know, while I'm around the house or something. I really love Brandy. And it started, it, it came back into my life with that, with that, that soundtrack. Um, so I always have a good time with the soundtrack. So now that Peter's been to earth and got that iPod and everything or, or that uh, MP3 player. Uh, was Zoom. It? Yeah. Zoom. They got that all loaded up. Uh, I'm, I'm curious where they're going to go with it. Um, but I guess we'll see. Um, as far as my number six, I was, I was dancing between indie and Blue Beetle. Uh, so I'm going to go with indie. I think the amount of time it, that it's been since Crystal Skull 
uh, and the criticisms that that movie had received uh, has sunk so deep into pop culture that it's just, it's kind of like a Green Lantern at this point. You know, you talk, you know, talk about a a a, a film that sort of bit the, bit the dust in terms of terms of expectation, uh, a, a film that has become a bit of a joke of uh, a parody of itself in some ways. Crystal Skull is that. I, I, you know, over the years, I actually enjoy it a little bit more than I did when it originally came out. It's a good popcorn flick. I enjoy putting it on, but obviously, it doesn't carry the weight and the um the nostalgia and the, the 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 fun of the original indie films and i'm hoping with all the criticism that crystal skull got um as well as it very likely being in uh harrison ford's last indie film uh, we'll see i'm hoping and, and you know the, the trailer does look good at, at least from what i see i'm hoping they've learned a lot from crystal skull and uh and understand the weight of what's coming here by this quote-unquote being harrison's last indie film which again his age his ability to do this stuff it, it likely will be i'm hoping that there's a lot here for for longtime indie fans to chew on um and it's definitely going to be a film i take my dad to go see so because he showed me all the original indie films growing up so uh it's definitely going to be a movie going experience more so than just out to see than a, a new movie. It's in my middle of the road list, but I will be honest enough to say it was closer to being on my monkey crap list than it was cl- ever close to being in my top five list. I, I'm very concerned about this movie, even if it turned, see what well, the reality is because it's, You'd have to be behind closed doors to really know this. Well, no matter what move, no matter what movie we get, we'll never know if a lot of the rumors about and supposed plot leaks about this movie, even if we those things are not in this movie, we'll never know if some of those elements were, or maybe a lot of those elements were true when they scrapped it or edited it out. It's probably more true if you happen to go see it and and let's say seventy to eighty percent of what you heard is true, then it's probably reasonable that a lot of stuff else that you heard that didn't make it in the movie probably was at some point or at least seriously considered kathleen kennedy's involvement in this movie really makes me nervous i mean i I would be nice to believe she gets indiana jones obviously much better than she understands star wars and maybe she does i I don't i don't remember her entire filmography but i'm i think she worked on some of the indiana jones movies probably more and if she did probably more uh directly than she did in star wars movies based on when, when she came along in which would make sense actually based time frame wise but i she it just makes me nervous this is a kathleen kennedy project but and if again if we're to believe what the scuttlebutt this will probably be her last lucasfilm project before she rides off into the sunset so it yeah. would be nice if it was good i don't think i think crystal skull kind of gets a bad rap i don't think it really was that was that bad there were things in it that I understand, you know, the whole nuking, the, nuking the fridge, the, the new jumping the shark line, nuking the fridge. I get it. I'd like to think it's good. Mangold's a good director. But again, Kathleen Kennedy, at the end of the day, has total control over what's going to make it into the movie anyway. So even if he if there's ever a disagreement, she's going to win. She always she has final cut of everything, I think, at, at Lucasfilm. And again, I'm not a, I don't love Logan the way a lot of people do. But Mangold also did the Wolverine. And a lot of people, I mean, I like the Wolverine, but a lot of people weren't, you know, don't, don't love that movie. So it's not like Mangold, everything he touches, no pun intended, turns to gold. So I, it makes me nervous. I'm, I'm, so I'm going in with very low expectations. I'm hoping, yeah. I'm hoping it'll be, and maybe because of that, I'll, 
I'll enjoy I'll enjoy it more. But I don't I don't think I don't think the trailer did a lot of positives to to drive people to it. I don't think the I think the trailer was kind of eh. But I do feel like the trailer was a little rushed, if I'm being honest. Um, which but, is which, when you think about it, it shouldn't be because the, that the majority of this movie has been done for quite some time. Yeah. All right. Number five. Who's going first? You want me to go? Yeah, sure. If you want to. Sure. All right. Number five for me. We have, we have a theme. We have a theme for the first three movies as we're counting up. They're all sequels here. So maybe this is part of my bias because I've been watching the hell out of all these movies on Pluto lately, but it's, I probably would have been there anyway. Saw 10. Mm. Saw 10 is, is on my list. And again, that's what it's, unless they may change the title between now and October, but that is what it is known as right now or how it's being filmed. Did uh, Spiral give you some renewed interest or are you just always into the franchise? Spiral didn't, which is funny. I, I, re- I rewatched Spiral last night, even though I did watch it with the, with the director in, the score and and one of the writers uh the commentary track on and i and i I had done that when i got when i got the disc but no my 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 interest was always there and i know spiral didn't do all that well financially but i do think that was just because of the pandemic that was very early on when with theaters opening opening up opening up and like i said our theater opened up the, the day the week that spiral opened and if not for the fact that they didn't put pre-sale tickets on ahead of time we would have seen that the first thursday they were opened again instead of seeing godzilla versus kong which was more for my friend because obviously i had hbo max then so you know so i could see it i find it interesting that even when spiral came out they were talking about probably the next saw movie they did would be a quote-unquote like more like a direct saw sequel basically tying it into jigsaw and and uh john kramer so tobin bell is in saw 10 I know they got Shawnee Smith back, so obviously there's going to be more flashbacks. But the thing, the, the thing I guess that intrigues me about this, because other than a cash grab, I don't under, I don't see plot wise what they're going to, why they would do another sequel tying it directly into basically hidden, kind of doing the Jeff Con thing once again, doing things behind the scenes with John Kramer that we either you thought you knew but you didn't know, or things you never saw that happened that did happen. The only way to do that again to me is that if you're setting up yet another potential successor that so far has not worked for that franchise. And unless they unless they have a means to an end, which is, well, let's introduce this character. And then literally the last three characters we've introduced in Jigsaw, Spiral and in this movie, basically, you just do like a one or two movie wrap up the story where all these surviving would be successors end up squaring off with each other. That franchise has is that franchise has so many issues as far as what you they wrote themselves into a corner with Saw 3, as much as that's my favorite movie because of the twists in it. They kind of last Jedi the franchise with that movie because they drove the truck into the ditch, except they had a plan to get it out. But they kind of were always living on borrowed time once you kill off your main character. You can only Jeff Con so many things, and they never came up with a, uh, a successor people would like or could potentially get behind. So even without paranormal activity, putting an end to that, creating the law of diminishing returns for that franchise. They were kind of living on borrowed time after saw three. So I'm just curious what the intent of this movie is going to be. And I, and, and I think I definitely am more interested in a direct sequel directly tying to, to jigsaw as opposed to what spiral was, which was someone basically being inspired. I mean, it was in the spirit. I don't know if you ever got to see it yet. It was it definitely is in no. the spirit. It's definitely in the spirit 
of Saw, but it's not. But again, other than taking place in the same universe where, you know, all the events of Saw happened, there's no direct tie to John Kramer. So that's so I kind of like the fact that they're going back to that. So that's that. So that's number five for me. Yeah, no, I I have no ties to the Saw franchise. I think I did see and I I know we've talked about this on the show before because it's not the first time Saw has come up, but like. I think I saw maybe three and enjoyed it a little bit. Uh, which yeah, I think you nice. think you said it was three that you saw. And 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 I say I, I say enjoy very loosely, guys, because it, I I don't like this term because honestly I don't think it's necessarily a, a real term, or rather it's thrown a, thrown around in ways where the people who use it are very judgmental when they do it. But to me, the saw type films are are a lot of gratuitous violence which I don't necessarily respond to. Like I, I don't respond to horror thriller or whatever uh, in general, because you know, that just wasn't a genre that was imprinted on me growing up as something I had an appreciation for the art form. Plus the fact that I was just too scared too long. So at the, um, a movie like Saul or the Saul franchise, rather there's so many times where I just can't, I just straight up can't look at what's on the screen that I'm like, it's one thing to be like watching something and, you know, be like, Oh my God, or, you know, whatever. But to physically have to look away from the screen, it's just like, I'm, I mean, what's the point of the movie if I'm not going to actually watch what's happening in front of my eyes. So uh, because of that, saw is not something for me now. Things like, you know, I, I do have a little bit more growing appreciation lately, I can admit, of horror, at the very least in the comic form. Um, so hopefully that'll expand a little bit outward to film and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, things like Paranormal Activity, which you just brought up, uh, obviously that thing, you know, went off the rails after a little while. But the first couple were something I could stand and stuff like that. But Saw for me wasn't wasn't that. Um, Spiral did seem interesting but not enough to bring me back into it or, or watch it. Um, but I, I will admit that, that when I watched the trailer for spiral and everything, and we were talking about it last year or the year before or whatever. Um, I was, I was at least curious, but again, not enough to see it. Unfortunately, my number five, speaking of things that you won't care about, <laughs> the Legion of superheroes direct to DVD animated feature. This is part of what DC, I believe, or Warner, uh, or I guess Warner slash Discovery is calling the Tomorrowverse. Um, this is that new animated style we saw with Green Lantern Beware My Power and Justice, or Justice Society World War II, um, Superman, I think it was Man of Tomorrow, I think that's what that was called. Um, that new style that's been out, so this part of that. From what I can tell from the trailer, it's a, uh, Take Supergirl to the future to meet the Legion and become a part of the Legion slash train to be a hero. That sort of a thing we've got. Uh, it comes out uh, on February 7th. And unfortunately, I neglected to see if that's the digital or the physical copy release. Um, but either way, release is February 7th. Jensen Ackles is doing the voice of Batman. Matt Bomer's the voice of the Flash. Uh, Harry Shum Jr.'s Brainiac 5. Uh, but in terms of like Legion cast, um uh, two of my top three favorite legionnaires are going to be in this one shadow lass and dawn star and i'm really looking forward to seeing those characters uh on the big screen or, or rather on the silver screen or whatever you call uh home video at this point because i really just enjoy those characters i uh, obviously i would react a little more uh you know higher than number five on my list if they were to give us like a ragman movie or something but 
when you give me a character I really do enjoy, like let's say they were to come out with a Firestorm movie or, you know, you know, any any one of my, you know, top whatever, top five, top ten favorite DC characters, I'm going to be way more interested in it than normal. Shadow Lass and Dawnstar, and then my third favorite for those of you playing along at home is Dream Girl. That would be something that piques my interest. Um, it is directed by uh, Jeff Wamster or Wamster. Uh, he is was director on Green Lantern Beware My Power, which for all its problems was okay, I thought. Um and he was also director of Justice Society World War II, which I actually really enjoyed. It was it's written by uh, Josie Campbell, who did a lot of the Justice League action uh, TV series episodes. Uh, for those of you who watched the She-Ra and the Princess of Power series that came out not too long ago, um, she did write some of that. And if you have been paying attention to Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, she did a lot of that stuff. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I watched actually, I got sucked into it during babysitting once. Um, I watched several seasons of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous and it's actually a, a lot better than it has any right to be. Um, so I'm very curious about how that one's going to pan out. There's a, there's a few different animated directed DVD DC types things coming out, uh, an untitled milestone film I, I believe which you know that's static and hardware and icon and rocket there's supposed to be a batman the doom that came to gotham one and then a justice league war world unclear if those last two are supposed to happen this year but even of those legion of superheroes tops that list and just my overall curiosity of seeing shadow Lass and dawn star um and just the legion the legion doesn't get a lot of chances to get in front of the general public um so i'm i'm anxious to see how this one's gonna play out because legion i think the legion has a lot of potential i know mark doesn't care for him much but i think there's a lot of potential in the legion and um you know if nothing else then for being a you know some of my favorite characters uh i i would hope that this does well and honestly the Jose, the uh, josie campbell writer thing particularly her work with camp cretaceous um it, it gives me some a little bit of hope that this might be you know something to watch something that's better than it has any right to be maybe um and i did really enjoy justice society world war ii i don't know if you saw that but um i I really enjoyed that so there are some credentials here that make me think there's potential and obviously there's general curiosity with some of my favorite characters and i can understand why it would have an appeal to you and if it's something that if i Assuming it ends up on HBO Max while I still have HBO Max, I can't say that I would never watch it. I mean, there's still a bunch of things on uh, some of those DC movies that I have not watched, mm. but it's not in my wheelhouse. Uh, the characters are the characters don't have much of a draw for me, and I won't necessarily blame blame the director for the the movie that the, the the movie that we got for beware my power but it's not i don't think it's a huge plus either because but yeah i i can understand why that would be why that would be on your list and i might that it, it's on my this is i'm trying to see if it's on my monkey crap list while you're checking did you ever watch any camp cretaceous no I almost said that when you mentioned it. You should, uh, man. Like if you're if you're down to watch some, you know, obviously kids oriented types. That's stuff, Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. Uh it's it it I'm telling you, man, it's better than it has any right to be. I don't even think I I don't think I mentioned it. 
I don't think I bothered writing it down, but it would have to be on my monkey crap list because again, it's something I certainly have I'm not actively seeking to to watch, but but I All get right. it. Number fours. All right, number four for me, continuing the trend that I just started, uh Scream. Scream six. I like Scream Five. Scream Five was really good. If anybody listened to my mini episode last year on Scream Five, Scream Five and Scream to begin with the way it was created. It's just like a it's not my favorite horror franchise by far, but it is arguably the most perfect franchise to continue going forward because you already had the mechanism built in that you didn't have the same killer. You just had you just had somebody look the same. The killer always looks the same, but the, who the killer is is always different. So you could continue and sounds the same, which they better do a whole lot of recording with. Uh, I, forget, I forget what's his face who does the voice, a ghost face. They better they better do like a James Earl Jones thing and either have a contract that can they, they can still use his voice after he's dead or just have him recite the the friggin' dictionary and so they have everything recorded. But re- arguably they could keep you know they could keep going on forever with that, and they proved in the last movie that. You don't, as much as it was nice to have Nev Campbell in it, you didn't need Nev Campbell to be the main star. And this movie will, this movie will kind of reinforce that or throw that into doubt because she's not, by all accounts, she is not in Scream 6. So I'm interested in it. It's different. They're going to be in New York. Whether that makes it a better movie as opposed to kind of like revolving around Woodsboro, we'll see. But I'm interested enough. I thought the last one was good. And they, they're bringing Hayden Panettiere back from uh, Scream 4, which I thought was a nice touch. So I think that's, and that's going to be coming out soon. That's, that's real soon. That's right around the corner. I think that's one of those March is a big month for releases this year. And I think that's one of those March releases. So I'm looking forward to that. I forgot Hayden was in that. She was from Heroes, right? The cheerleader. Yes, yes, yes. Her characters, her character was actually one of the, one of the more interesting characters and probably certainly the, Arguably the, the only memorable character, really, uh, in, in that movie, certainly of the of the quote unquote victims. So I think so. I thought that was a nice touch. And then and the people who paid attention to Scream Five, and it's, you could when somebody was watching stuff on YouTube, there was a one of those recommended videos on the side. In, there was an interview with her character Kirby. So it became clear if you paid attention that Kirby actually survived the results of Scream 4, which, of course, was never really definitively stated one way or the other. She was left for dead, so you it could have been interpreted. But the fact that that, that opened the door, and obviously she actually is in this movie. So yeah. I'm hoping it's going to be good. So Yeah, the Scream franchise, obviously, to a lesser extent in terms of the quote-unquote gratuitous violence, but still there, I guess, in some ways, um, is just because by right of being horror slash thriller, just again, same same thing. Wasn't a really thing. Honestly, my only familiarity with it is obviously scary movie. That is true. And that's really not a fair a fair way to judge it <laughs> by by the parody film that it that came as a, out of it. I it's one of those things that as I have a growing appreciation for horror, like I mentioned in comics, if it does spin out, I think Scream might be something I revisit or or visit because I I think I saw the first one. It's been so long, but uh, yeah, I I would I would have to I would have to plead the fifth on this one, unfortunately. Not a problem. Understood. All right. My number four is a movie called 65, which I did not know about slash discover until we started making this list. Um, so this one, um, this one has some potential to be good. Um, it's one of those uh, movies that's star star packed with a lot of power behind it. 
in terms of names that you the general audience will recognize uh, the and by general moving going audience i mean people who don't pay attention to producer director so on and so na- so on and so forth names but uh when you have those types of movies they inevitably can be great or they can be just clear box office bait in terms of the amount of names stacked to it in order to draw people in. This is directed and written by both Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who both did the quiet place one and two. So there's big name one and two. Uh, it features Adam driver. Who's been in a lot of stuff lately, obviously Kylo Ren, but you know, other things as well. Uh, Chloe Coleman, who was in avatar way of water, which I haven't seen yet, but want to, um, and Ariana Greenblatt, who was, uh, in a movie. I'm not sure if you saw Mark, but I saw and really enjoyed Love and Monsters. A really good thing. It's produced by Sam Raimi and scored by Danny Elfman. Uh, it comes out on, uh, March 10th. Uh, so the premise here and the trailer is out. You can go watch this, guys. Obviously, I, I would hope so. It comes out March 10th. Um, it's an astronaut or a space traveler of some kind. Um, it seems like it's maybe not the far, far future of Earth, but maybe like a near-ish future, a couple hundred years maybe. Um, hard to tell, but it, that's the feeling I get from it. Um, could be far future. They are in space, and I, I guess they pass through a wormhole or something, and they end up crashing on a planet. What happens is they think they're on another planet. Turns out they're on prehistoric Earth 65 million years ago. So they're running into a bunch of old, you know, they're, you know, dinosaurs and, and, and the various uh, life that you would see there. I was very intrigued by this based on the trailer that I watched, because at first I see dinosaurs. Right. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know, immediately, guys, I wanted to be a paleontologist up until I was like ninth grade in high school from little like a lot of people. You know, a lot of little boys definitely have that dinosaur fixation as little kids. Few actually carry it that far into adolescence going, no, I'm actually going to be a paleontologist and shit. No, I, I was that person. I was into dinosaurs. Uh, so I was like, oh shit. Okay. We're kind of getting, uh, we're, we're getting some sci-fi that feels like Jurassic Park while not being Jurassic Park. It's its own thing. Let's see where they go with this. And then because they're essentially, you know, their, their ship is crashed. It's not like they're decked out with super advanced weaponry to hold off these dinosaurs or stuff. They're being hunted by dinosaurs on this planet. So like as much as Jurassic Park and the subsequent films that came out of it can have an air of danger and stuff like that being hunted by raptors or, or whatever because of just what Jurassic Park is and the amount of films in it. There's a bit of a suspension of disbelief that comes along with Jurassic Park where you're not as scared as you maybe should be. If you were yourself was in you yourself was in that situation. Uh, also, you know, you kind of expect everybody to be fine you know you go into it going oh this person's absolutely not going to die by the end of this movie um and we talked a bit about that with the jurassic world dominion but there's this this adds a level of danger that jurassic park has been missing because this looks like it could like not obviously not that i'm going to be like looking away from the screen or shaking in my boots or anything uh but 
you know, if you allow me to use an exaggerated word, this looks terrifying. (laughs) Uh, And I'm excited to see it, uh, to actually be, um, you know, offered something dangerous and sci-fi-ish and whatever with dinosaurs uh, that kind of captures, I guess, what the first Jurassic Park did to my generation when we saw it. It didn't, like, scare scare us but it was definitely enough danger for a kid at that time and i'm feeling like as now being 35 years old that this might give me some of that sense of being scared by the potential a a dinosaur in your midst could bring you um and i'm very curious to see how it plays out but like i said it could just be box office bait was it absolutely or has it been absolutely confirmed that basically this is one of those Planet of the Apes deals where they're going where, where the astronaut in question is from Earth who ends up back in the past on Earth. I wasn't sure based on the the, the initial trailer. I don't think it really confirms that it's 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 it, yeah it's it's not really in in the same way you can't tell if it's the far future or the nearest future of Earth. It's I'm not sure. Yeah, I it's that's that's def, that's in my middle my middle list it's actually not because it necessarily holds a lot of weight i was going through the movies that, that i knew we were going to be talking about but it is where i wrote it it's number one on my middle of the road list when i saw the trailer i did not i thought it was i thought it was left open based on the initial trailer whether this was just supposed to be a futuristic society that happened to be where they were 65 million years ago in our timeline and they just happen to end up getting their their they got their their ship got damaged and they ended up crash landing on you know back back during the era of the dinosaurs i did not necessarily now the possibility was always there when i'm watching it that this they could do a planet of the apes twilight zone kind of thing where, where you basically you've 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 ended up back in your own past and you don't realize it now that's possible i did not necessarily I just didn't take it that way. To be to be perfectly honest, I don't necessarily know if that really changes my interest one way or the other, pro or con. Because you know, obviously, if it is on Earth, you know, well, if they, if it's on Earth and they don't get rescued, we know they're dead. <laughs> Nor and we and not just because one's a little kid and because Adam Driver is an adult. The reality is, even if they were just two adults, you knew they weren't going to be the the. Even if it was a loop, they were not going to be the ones that created. You know mankind's reign on the earth because the fact that they're still in the midst of the dinosaur reign so i'm intrigued by it they the it makes you ner it makes you nervous because you didn't see a lot of the dinosaurs which makes you wonder the dinosaur how good the dinosaurs look and how the how good the dinosaurs look are going to be important because we are used to the jurassic park you know the era of jurassic park so i think that i mean you can have variations but it's it's got to look competent basically the dinosaurs it's an it's an it's an intriguing concept though it is kind of it is hard to imagine what how they could again you probably assume they get rescued but only because there's really no way they could survive (laughs) for a long period of time (laughs) but it's an interesting concept yeah you're right about the dinosaurs too because at least in the trailer that's available a lot of what you see is sort of flashes through lightning during a rainstorm, yep. which is not what you want to see in terms of CGI, because a lot of times this using a setting like that is a way to excuse a little bit of a loss of detail in the CGI uh, to kind of cut corners and stuff because it's dark. Uh, it The lighting is is sporadic. The rain makes everything look wet, which 
usually badly rendered CGI, CGI is described as wet looking. Um, so uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, I I would hope with the names on board that uh, there was enough of a budget behind this and uh the right effects team hired behind this to to get it right but i guess we'll see either way i'm very curious i agree with you also that that was a movie i really had not heard at all about until the trailer started coming out uh like about a month ago so i think they've done a good job at hyping up the marketing for this movie and let's see let's see if there's a super bowl spot for this movie let's see I'm I would sure. hope so. I would expect so, honestly. Yeah, I'm going to assume we, no matter what we know, we got we have to get a second trailer probably anytime soon because of the fact that that movie comes out in March. So you yeah, know, I just, some... I just, I just think with the way of the water stuff happening, Chloe's Chloe Coleman's in it. Quiet Place is big still, uh, and Sam Raimi because of Spider Man is still in a lot of people's eyes. So like, I think, I, I think. You know, seeing those names flash on a Super Bowl commercial directed by the creators of The Quiet Place and produced by Sam Raimi of Spider-Man like that. Yeah, I agree. Three. Number three, appropriately, I have Creed. Creed three is number three, which is funny because, I mean, again, it's part of this is by default because Creed three was a movie for a bunch of reasons. And that my enthusiasm for. During this, like the last summer heading into early fall, my enthusiasm for this movie was pretty low just because it'd been delayed multiple times. The whole Stallone feuding with Erwin Winkler about the rights for Rocky and him and not just Rocky not being in this movie, but the fact that, you know, Stallone seemingly, even though he's still going to get an executive producer's credit, really doesn't want anything to do with this movie. And so, you know, you're not going to get the you can't count 100 percent on getting the the whole Rocky audience to just naturally come support this movie just because, Hey, it's there's, there's, a you know, there, there's always a chance there'll be a certain percentage of the fan base that because Stallone, unless Stallone, you know, changes his mind and does a, and does a hard push to try to, which would ultimately be in his best interest. But then again, a lot of things <laughs> that he's been saying probably aren't in his best interest from the, from a dealing with the studio perspective, a fan base perspective, you know, that's debatable. But unless he unless he really does a full court press to try to increase increase the I'm trying to find the right word increase the, the reason in the in the for uh, the audience the Rocky audience to go see this movie and to double down on why you know regardless of what's going on you know with him personally that this is a movie you know I, like I saw it and this movie's good you know it's better than I thought it was and you shouldn't support it unless he gives you reason really cranks up the support I. I don't know. There's, there's a question mark there about whether that will affect the box office of this movie. So that if so, all of those things that were going on last year with and the lack of a trailer and everything made me very. It really hurt my enthusiasm for a franchise that I should be pumped for. And the fact that honestly, I don't know if Adonis Creed is a character based on what we saw in the first two movies. He is able or ready to carry a movie on his own. I guess we'll know now. Trailer was good. We've talked about the trailer for our, they've been very, very good at all that. The, the Creed two trailers were excellent. I think the Creed, I think the trailers they did for, for, for the first Creed were good too. And, and the, in the first trailer we've got for Creed three, it's pretty straightforward what's going on here. It looks like the plot is a combination of a little bit of Rocky three, a little bit of Rocky five, it's more of Rocky five with, uh, the main character helping out somebody else and then them turning on them and then 
So I suspect, so that seems to be the dynamic. Obviously, Jonathan Majors is shaping up to be one of the it, you know, the true it actors of 2023. So I'm much more into, I'm much more curious about this movie now. I still have some reservations about it. I do want to see how cer- certain things play out. There's going to be a time. I know there's a big time, a relatively sizable time jump, I think, in this movie between Creed 2 and Creed 3. It's either three to five years. So I'm suspecting, based on that original trailer, Creed is either retired or he's about to retire. When you see them fighting towards the end or whatever, or when they're confronting each other, that a Jonathan Majors character looks like he's got the belts. So obviously he wouldn't have taken it from Creed to start with. So I'm assuming Creed is probably already retired or and he ends up coming back to fight this guy. Mm-hmm. It's intriguing enough. I'm hoping it, it'll be good. I'm hoping it will continue, you know, the Rocky franchise quote unquote, yeah. you know, so that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. Yeah. Creed is something I, I definitely remember seeing the first one. I'm 90, 90% positive. I saw the second one. I just couldn't recall a scene. If you asked me to, I have and I think I, I messaged you the day I bought the, uh, the Rocky franchise on Blu-ray, um, all, all the movies. Uh, so at the very least, the collector in me is going to see this because, once it comes out on Blu-ray, I'm going because I don't own Creed one and two either digitally or physically, but I know I've seen them. Um, you know, I'm 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 gonna want the collection. You know, there's no point in and I've been I've been toying with buying Creed one and Creed two, but I was like, you know what? Much in the same way, I was like, I don't have any of the Jurassic World movies on Blu-ray. I was like, well, Dominion already been announced. I'll just wait till that comes out, then I'll get the trilogy on the, the box set when it releases. Same thing with Creed. Once Creed three comes out on Blu-ray, I'll buy the trilogy box set that comes out a month or two after its initial release. So uh, I, I definitely am curious. And you, you're right, we talked about the trailer. The trailer looks great, and it definitely serves to, you know kind of, you know, bring you back into the feel that the first two Creed movies gave you and, and that world that it built for you um, so that you feel like, oh, yeah, we're all right, right back in it. Uh, much that I think in the same way, they're, they're kind of starting to jump the shark a little bit, but like the John Wick uh, uh, yeah. world has a, has a specific feel. And e- regardless of the amount of time between feels, you see a John Wick trailer, you immediately go, oh, we're back in it. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. All right, my number three is Christopher Nolan's next movie, which is Oppenheimer. Uh, obviously, the story behind the man Oppenheimer, who uh, was part of the team that invented the nuclear bomb, um, or the atom bomb, or whatever you want to call it. We got Cillian Murphy is Oppenheimer. Um, that guy always has such a unique look. Uh, for those of you who don't know actors' names off the top of your heads, uh, he played Scarecrow in the the Batman trilogy, the Christmas Christopher Nolan trilogy. Florence Pugh is in this, who is Yelena um, in in uh, Black Widow. Emily Blunt from Mary Poppins Returns and lots of other things. Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Rami Malek, who was uh, Freddie Mercury uh, in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, it comes out July 21st, uh, so obviously they're there it's a Christopher Nolan movie. The names that are attached to this thing, it's a summer film. We're anticipating this. Uh, I'm assuming is going to be a summer blockbuster. Um, I'm very curious about this from uh, lots of different angles. I do like biopics. Uh, I do like uh, stories that uh, take place roughly, you know, in in the nearish past, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I I, I like period pieces like that. Um, not necessarily too far back, but I do like period pieces 
from the early 1900s and stuff like that early to mid um and um this seems uh, from the the trailer and everything and honestly the marketing push they're already giving for this thing i'm very curious uh there's there's lots of stories obviously behind the the manhattan project and everything and you know the secrecy they were kept under and obviously the moral dilemma you face because there's no way you know you, you know what you're designing and you know what it's going to be used for um but you're in the midst of a crazy war you know that the the, the amount of of innocent casualties that are going to happen just because you do this thing and you know um oppenheimer is quoted as you know talking about the the hindi scripture or whatever the mythology about now i am become death destroyer of worlds there's there's just so many different things you know that i kind of i don't know that i ever focused on learning about the manhattan project or anything but it's it's so it's such a pivotal moment in history that it bleeds into lots of different pop culture uh, I think Legends of Tomorrow had a couple of episodes on it. You know, it, it's just one of those things that people reference as as a historic point or whatever, uh, and you immediately know what they're talking about. It's it's ubiquitous almost. Um, in in it's something everybody understands, regardless of whether they're a student of history or not. Um, so I'm very curious to see what it's like. It's obviously a Christopher Nolan film. Um, and I missed the last one, so, uh, and don't really have any curiosity in checking it out. So, um, this one does have my attention and, uh, uh, I'd also be curious to see one of the first times in a while, I'd be curious to see how it actually performs box office wise too. Yeah, I would, this is an intro. This is firmly in my middle of the road list. Uh, did you ever watch, uh, fat man and little boy? No, the other the other up to this point, probably the other major Oppenheimer. But that was more of a Manhattan Project yeah. pick than just a pure Oppenheimer pick. But but you kind of get the impression this is more of an Oppenheimer pick with the atomic bomb being in the background, and if so to speak. But that was the one with Paul Newman and John Cusack and a whole bunch of other people. That was I I have seen I did see that movie. That was that was an that was an interesting movie. I would I would suspect I would suspect this movie fin- financially won't do all that well. I could be wrong about really? that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. What's it I, up against? What was that? What's it up? What's it up against? I don't even know. I without looking at the release schedule, it has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with what it's opening up against or, or when it's coming out versus anything else. So we can find that out. And I could be wrong about this. I don't think number one, there's that much of an interest in Oppenheimer and the atomic bomb for multiple reasons at this point. I don't know. It's a period piece. That's always shaky. I don't think the subject matter is going to have a lot of appeal. I do think Tenet. I don't think most people, I don't, a lot of people, let's just say that didn't like Tenet. And, and Nolan is kind of walking that fine line between getting the reputation of making a lot of re- ambitious movies, but, but he's starting to get to the point, but from a financial perspective, it's like they're not mass market movies. They're not, they're kind of like a diminishing return movies. I mean, because before Tenet, we it was Dunkirk, right? Dunkirk was the last one. Yeah. So I Which think I haven't seen. Uh, I know there's lots of like supposedly inventive shots and cool stuff in that film, but I, I, I and I hear lots of good things about it, honestly. But I just I, I don't have any interest in seeing it. Yeah. So I I look I look at that, and while while it is interesting, 
I do I do wonder about whether there's a there's a really there's an audience, a mass market audience for it. I I'm sure the I'm sure the critics will love it, and it probably will be July 21st it opens up. So the question to that the question is, as we speak, I'll pull up the July release schedule. That I just don't see. Let's see, it opens up against Barbie, so that's a good sign. But unfortunately, the week before it opened, uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, which I completely forgot to put on my middle of the road list, uh, but it's there now. Uh, that opens up on the 14th, and the Marvels opens up on the 28th. So it doesn't have a huge window to do much box office to begin with. So it it's going to be uh and Barbie might have an audience given who's in it. Yeah, it could. It yeah. could. It, it, it that's true too. But it, it could very easily get from a box a pure box office perspective get swallowed up because it's the one week between Mission Impossible and the Marvels, and then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comes out like the week after too, for what that's worth. So I don't think I would suspect it's going to be a critical success, but I don't think it's going to be a box office success. And I think, and I think. And Christopher Nolan is kind of like walking that kind of like walking that line, I think, between making a lot of making really high quality movies, which are great, but movies that people don't necessarily want to go see because he hasn't had a he hasn't had a big winner, certainly domestically in a while. So. But. All right. Number two. Number two. Number two for me is my only hope for the MCU this year, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. That is the only movie that i think might for what it's worth dunkirk worldwide made about 527 but it only made 189 domestically which is to be expected because it's a world war ii movie about something that that lived that directly didn't affect us <laughs> so, so, so even even world war ii or movie a war movie fans probably wouldn't be as interested in that kind of kind of period piece uh but yeah ant-man and the wasp quantumania I'm still, I have some concerns. I still, I need to see, I need to understand what, what Kang is doing before I, I completely jump on board of what kind of threat he is or a, what a version of Kang, even if it's still not this version, uh, is going to be, you know, what kind of threat they can be. Because just because you have somebody tell you this, like, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer tells you in the second trailer, it doesn't mean, you know, it's the, the op, it's telling, not showing when it should be showing, not telling. We have to feel, you know, based on what he's doing, that he's, that he's this big, bad Thanos like threat. And I'm not saying we won't. Those are my concerns. I'm also, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they, I don't really think they're going to kill Scott. Obviously they want, they certainly want you to think that that's a strong possibility. He might in, now he might get lost in the, in the, in the microverse there in the quantum realm. He, his fate may be left undetermined. You could get so that would not necessarily surprise me, but which would be a really which you would have to admit it would be a pretty clever. Tonally, it would be pretty clever, because as we talked about when the first endgame trailer came out, how the whole endgame trailer was so it was just so downtrodden and miserable to the end of the to the end where it gets uplifted because Scott's in there, because Scott is literally the most upbeat and easygoing character in the, in the MCU. And to have that character. Be, t- be taken away and and have basically have all all his hopes and his dreams literally taken away uh and double entendre there with hope taken away that yeah that would be kind of a nice way of kind of like telling you that hey you're not in you know 
upping the ante on why this threat is completely different and maybe even more dangerous than the one that we dealt with. I'm looking forward to it. And I, plus I think it's, if we're ever going to, even though we might get some name, the Marvels could give you some name drops about what the fate of the Avengers happened to be because of uh, Mon Valani's Kamala Khan's fangirlish nature of the, the Avengers. You might get an, you might get some innocent quote unquote drop about information regarding the Avengers, just like you got the whole Sokovia Accords thing being repealed, mentioned almost nonchalantly in, in, uh, though it was important to the case, but nonchalantly, just generally speaking in She-Hulk. Without a line like that in the Marvels, you can't imagine the Marvels is going to have much d- directly related to what's going on on Earth with the Avengers. And not that I think this movie is going to have a lot to do with that either, because Scott is technically an Avenger, or we assume he is, that we might get some little tidbit about what the Avengers are, which I think is kind of important. I know I'm beating a dead horse, but, you know, we could we could very easily go through 2023 and not have any idea, anything more know anything more about who or what the Avengers are and what they do and what they don't do than we did after Endgame. So I'm kind of hoping out, holding out a little bit of hope for that. And I'm just hoping that this, this movie will feel more like a Marvel movie, which I think Black Panther kind of did from the perspective of it kind of, it, it kind of like gave you a little more focus and a little more purpose, even though it did not necessarily connect a lot of dots about what was coming immediately into the MCU. I'm kind of hoping this movie is a little more, even more of a return to form. And that's why it's going to begin phase five. But that's that's what I'm hoping anyway. Yeah, the trailer looked good. Um, I think I I just inherently have a sort of issue, I think. And, and look, it's not going to take up even a quarter of the length of the film, as far as I can tell. But the idea of Scott being a celebrity and everything, obviously he's helped save the world. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be. It makes sense narratively speaking, but in terms of what I would like to see from Scott or something like the, the type of Scott story I expect uh, based on the first two films, uh, him thrust into the limelight and, and celebrity and stuff doesn't, isn't something I'm interested in again, makes sense, but not interested in, um, and I do feel a bit of a, uh, I guess I, I call it these days the CW effect from uh, some of the plot that's laid out here. Um, and by that, I mean the whole, um, you know, it, it's a it's a thing that happened. I, I, you know, thinking back to episodes like Smallville or, you know, uh, Arrow or whatever, it's like when so-and-so comes up with something that I like, ah. Uh, Shit, it's a secret. Oh man, so and so would react such a way we can't ever tell them. And as you know, it's just setting up some sort of bullshit where it's like, uh, if we'd only told them, uh, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now. Uh, sort of the same thing there. He's making a deal with the devil and doing something he shouldn't be doing, and you know it's gonna bite him in the ass. Um, maybe all that's just surfacing in the trailer, and it's not gonna be as on the nose as as it appears in the trailer. But that sort of stuff just turns me off anyways. Again, Quantumania, we've talked about it anytime we've talked about the MCU lately. It's going to be it's it's that film that we're we're all curious about because it it has to set the pace of everything that's coming uh, soon uh, for for where we're headed with the MCU as a whole in terms of the big threats and and uh, what the next Avengers films will be about. Um, obviously, you know, I've talked about how I'm, you know, curious about Blade and all of that other stuff. Quantumania is that other thing that we, it's, it's the wild card. We, we have to watch that one to know where we're headed. 
Um, so there's curiosity there. I don't know that I'm going to see it opening weekend, to be honest. Um, I am I curious? Yes, but I just I don't want to deal with the crowds at this point. And I bet maybe be a post pandemic thing. It has nothing to do with like health or whatever, but I'm just uneasy around that that amount of people these days. So I don't think I'm willing to brave uh, being crammed in my seat uh, by the crowds on opening weekend or the week after. But I definitely will see it uh, in theaters. So. And I do think that, as you said, I do think that this movie, this movie is really critical to the MCU. I think, I think Black Panther, while there were certainly flaws in Black Panther and there were things people didn't necessarily like or head scratchers. And again, going back to the ultimate decision of what they did, you know, with Chadwick Boseman versus what they didn't do, that that's always going to make that movie kind of like, especially when you find out more about what the original movie was supposed to be. That always is going to leave door for criticism. But I think that at least felt more like it was an MCU movie. Generally speaking, it was a, it was a better product than we got with Thor and arguably Doctor Strange as a whole. But Ant-Man is just supposed to be upping the ante so much, no pun intended there, that the reality is it needs to work. And it also needs to work because Ant-Man from a financial perspective has been a relatively underachieving franchise, though it has been getting better, which, uh, which they should be getting better. You know, the, the character, especially now, because not, not just Scott in, in this MCU world, Ant-Man as a character in our view of the MCU also was a little more relevant because of how important he was to saving everything in Endgame. So it would make sense that that his profile in movie and his profile for our, our view on it, he's a higher, more important character in the MCU than we would have considered before. So that also means that when he is put at risk, and yes, I, you're right, it's probably not going to be a huge part of the story, the kind of like the Rocky Thring of Scott Lang, the, an overnight success. And him having the fame go to his head and kind of losing track of who he is, that that may not be a huge we're not going to see a lot of that. But I suspect elements of that are going to factor into why he would entertain whatever whatever the, you know, the out now deal that King makes him. And plus, we also like you kind of alluded to, we don't know how straight we don't know how far down the rabbit hole he's going to go with the deal before he realizes it's a problem. We don't want to. The trailer kind of makes it seem like he's going to be relatively loyal and willing to do what needs to be done with Kang until close close to the end when everything's blowing up. When we don't necessarily know that. I think that's a. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right term, but I think it's a double blind. Um, honestly, because like that, like I'm very I'm thinking about the trailers I've ever seen, not just for MCU films, but just any trailers, and. If I were to look back on the the same trailer after the movie I saw and piece together the different moments that it's from a part of that moment of that fight between him and Kang, where he says, I don't have to win. I just have to make sure we both lose or whatever it is he says. Right. That feels like such an obvious end of the film fight that part of me is thinking it's too obvious. That can't be the end of the film fight. I would still think it is the end of the, the end of the film fight. But what we also have to factor in here is that obviously there's more than one Scott in this movie. So we don't necessarily know that ev- we don't know everything that gets done is always done by the main Scott. Uh, True. So but it will be. And like you said, again, the, the idea that, yeah, 
that Janet obviously is going to know all this shit about what was going on in the quantum realm that she conveniently never bothered to tell anybody when you think you would want to tell people when you were still going into the quantum realm. I mean, they literally were going into the quantum realm at the end of the second Ant-Man movie to get those particles to help ghosts. So you would think that might have been the time. Oh, by the way, there's something in the quantum realm that we didn't we weren't aware of and something that's a, a bigger threat than we could have imagined. So I I think that it is it is a, a plot convenience. And I think that's kind of it's a potential problem. Yeah. And that's just my I just feel like the MCU is bigger than CW-ness to me. But we'll we'll see. Uh, at some point, you know, it's, it's a comic, it's based on a comic book, you know, comic books have a lot of tropes, uh, and they're tropes for a reason. So, uh, it would make sense for them to bleed into the adaptations that come. So, all right. Number two, uh, for me, I will be able to blow by this pretty quickly because I think it's why I'm interested in this and everything is pretty obvious. The Super Mario Brothers movie directed by Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelnick and Written by Matthew Fogel, we got Chris Pratt as Mario, Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach, Jack Black as Browser, Charlie Day as Luigi, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, Keegan-Michael Key as uh, Toad, and icing on top, it comes out April 7th, the day after my birthday. Um, <laughs> I'm April 6th, my birthday. I usually don't take off, um, but I will this time because... I work four 10-hour days, Monday through Thursday. I might as well take an early weekend because I'm seeing this the day it comes out. This, unlike some other movies, both on your list and mine, that I will wait a week or two to be out in theaters, I'm seeing this the hopefully opening night, which will be the first time for me for a while uh, that I'm seeing a film in opening opening night. Look, I, look, I, I, I see... And understand the people who are critical of him not having it's a medium audio voice uh, there in the trailers. And I even laugh at the memes that people then the jokes that people make about it. But at the end of the day, I love the animation that I saw on the trailer. I love everything else. Voice acting like Jack Black is Bowser fucking inspired choice. I love it. And this just seems like a no brainer knock out of the park type film. And I am utterly here for it. They did so much cool stuff just in the trailer. We got Mario Kart type stuff happening in it. It's insane. Uh, I will tell you some of my earliest memories. Um, I uh, before my parents moved us out to uh, the place I went from first grade to you know senior year of high school, Dripping Springs, Texas. We did live in in Austin, uh, just off of I-35, uh, and on the east side, which not not the up and coming side. But we did have a neighbor that I grew up with. She was a couple of years older than me. Her name was Andrea. She taught me how to play video games. And I would go over to her house as a little kid, uh, again, before even first grade. And I would sit there and we would just play Super Mario World. Um, I'm not a gamer, or at least by today's standards. But if I were a Twitch streamer or something and did a, uh, a speed run, uh, Twitch stream of a of a classic game or something, I would speed run the shit out of Super Mario World because I know that ge- that game like the back of my hand. I know every level, every secret, every secret world, every secret little power block. It's it's I love that game. Um, so to see this, uh, I am all in. There is not a thing I'm worried about with this film. I'm just anxious to have a good ass time. 
I thought the trailer was fine for it. I don't have a I don't have the ties, the strong ties to Mario. I mean, I have I have one of those was just one of the Super Mario games for the Wii and obviously Donkey Kong and things like that going back. It I mean, it looks fine. I I guess I mean it's like everything else when you have preconceived notions and history of what characters should be like that it's it makes it difficult. It makes it difficult. But I, I think it looks fun. I mean, it, to, I mean, to be fair, it is, it is on my, uh, Miller Road list. Uh, it was, it was, it's really close between that and the monkey crap list, but it's probably more, to be fair, Miller Road because it's, it's just something that I would, I'll probably see. I just don't, again, it's like, like I said, that's why it's borderline because I don't have a passion for it and, and, and it's something I'm not necessarily pumped to go see. But I thought that, but I thought the animation looked cool. And like you said, some of the, some of the voice cast is, is, is interesting and, and well, well thought out and matching character to voice. So I think, I think it has potential to, to be pretty good. Absolutely. All right. Number ones. Number one. Now this is, now this will surprise many people and, and it probably surprised me as I'm whittling, as I was whittling through, through the list. But this is this is more at this is more maybe out of the uh, how you can take your eyes off a like a train wreck kind of thing, and the curiosity factor. So I have the Flash as number one. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I have I have the Flash as number one for a multitude of reasons, mostly because uh, you know Michael Keaton's return as Batman was the always the main draw I think for me and for many people in this movie. Obviously, the bar has been raised from on multiple levels about when it comes to this movie. This movie is you know, from going through the grapevine that this movie is supposed to be really good, as opposed to a lot of the DC movies that have been rumored to be really bad that either have come out or are about to come out that this movie, everybody says it's really, really good. So I'm curious to see if it actually is good or that's BS. I'm curious to see what this move where this movie took us in the dcu versus and regardless of if any of it's going to be continued on or not or any of the threads in this movie are going to be picked up on and are tied together again by james gunn be curious to know where they left it and where it seemingly was going and i'm just curious and i also will be now it would be more than a little ironic if uh i don't really i don't think this will happen at all but it'll be really, really ironic with all the people being removed from from the DCEU that somehow Ezra Miller survives. <laughs> I don't think there's a snowball chance in hell, by the way, that's going to happen for multiple reasons. But I do think that no one could deny there'd be there'd be a lot of irony, i.e. BS, if that were to happen, just because it's like with all the I mean, it's it's just funny. And of all the DC movies that come that are that's coming out that are coming out this year. Despite the fact that seemingly Shazam might be the most important because it looks like uh, Levi is going to or Levy is going to survive in that if that role it doesn't look like he's probably going to be recast that. It's, it still seems to me overall, the flash of the one, the more interesting of the three DC four with the Cam Blue Beetle. But the main ones, the big the big heavy hitters that were coming out this year that the the flash movie was the more was the most intriguing and what plus playing with the multiverse and and yeah michael keaton is batman to see what he's going to do with that character after all these years that's just that's intriguing enough for me 
Yeah, yep. Flash is on my uh, three pounds of monkey crap list, along with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom and Shazam Fury of the Gods. Um, look, ever since they announced everything that's been going on with James Gunn and Peter Safran and the direction or, well, as much of a direction as we know that they're going with this, the idea of following up on anything connected to the Snyderverse has curiosity for me as a DC fan. Uh, as well as whatever threads, if any, that they continue from there, um, based on some of the things that, uh, like Zachary Levi has said and stuff like that. It seems like maybe there is a future for Shazam in the plans. Uh, I don't, I don't know. We're not going to go down that road, but, um, the flash is interesting to me because yes, I have the general curiosity, but I also have, and we don't have to, we, we don't have to and we won't get into this, but I also have, political slash moral concerns about all of that, not to the extent of the, a lot of the people that are losing their active minds about this and making their whole personality about making sure this thing never sees a light of day. But I do have some qualms, I guess uh, to put there, but also from business sense too, I'm not sure they should put this out. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying not release it ever. Uh, I'm just not sure a theater release is is helpful here because of where we're going and the possible implications of uh, of continuing to if if there are threads from this, um, like you said, you know, do you think there's a snowball's chance they're going to go forward with forgot his name already? Ezra um, Miller. Yes, Ezra Miller as Flash. Probably not a snowball's chance in hell, but there, there's still that potential there. And the idea of hooking your cart to that particular horse, given everything that's gone on, doesn't seem like a smart business decision. And just from thinking that, I automatically have to consider if it's worth releasing, if it's worth the potential PR backlash or or potentially tainting what comes next, or if it's worth any of that to release it in 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 uh, in theaters. But again, we. Everybody has their own thoughts on that stuff. We won't get into a debate about politics and morality and all that other stuff. But because of sort of we're we're sweeping this this tangent, uh, this multiversal tangent that Zack Snyder took us on here a bit to the side um, with an unclear future. Yes, but a bit to the side. I have lost a lot of my my active curiosity that would take me through to potential sequels or other uh, movies that they would add to the lineup and stuff like that. And as such, my enthusiasm for said films has dropped. So flash Aquaman, the lost kingdom and Shazam fear of the gods all feel that all feel that burn a little bit. So will I go see it? Probably I'm a DC fan and it's the freaking flash. Um, but uh, I'm not sure how I'll feel about seeing it. <laughs> so I don't know. That's, well, it's, that's, it's, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird one for me to do commentary on because it, at this point, you're not just, it's not just a film to watch. You know, it's, there's so much bullshit that's happened regardless. Forget Ezra Miller's bullshit. Just, just in the continuity of what's comes next after this film uh, for, for the future of these characters uh, that, that throwing the Ezra Miller stuff on top of it just makes it that much more complicated. So this, this thing is, is, has evolved to beyond just a film. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think that's taken, taken on a life of its own. I, I, the thing, the X factor in all this also is that we, is that we really don't know what the original, you know, what the plans were to begin with. And, and 
I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of people were were pretty firmly entrenched in their belief that the part of what they were doing with this, with the Flash and you know whatever version of Flashpoint we're getting in this, was so they could just get rid of Ezra Miller to begin with. <laughs> so we don't, we don't know where it's going to end up, and is it going to? Because it supposedly had effects for the Ben Affleck Batman, besides who's in who's who was supposed to be in this movie, and I'm going to assume still is in this movie. But yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of X factors from 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 DC's perspective. I think that at this stage, I mean, they've gone they have gone this far down that road down that road with releasing this movie that if they haven't if they haven't pulled a plug on it before. I don't think they're going to pull the plug on it now. I think the time to do it was during the height of everything going wrong with Ezra Miller, even though it could all be 100% BS. Now he, he, at least even if it's just as PR people getting, have having whispered into his ear to try to clean up his act and going into like rehab and all this stuff and copying that plea to his, the charges and all this stuff that even if it's just a saving face thing, at least he's still doing more than he did. So I don't think this would be the time. Doesn't mean that I don't think they're getting. Doesn't mean that I don't think they're going to get rid of them. They they probably will and they should. Especially now that there's a new regime, it's really easy. You're flushing almost everybody down the toilet. It would be hard not to flush. And again, if you're going to keep the multiverse open, even if you flush them down the toilet now, it's not like you can't bring them back in five years to to appear again. Yeah. But I think I think Michael Keaton, in all honesty, is the bigger draw for this. So if they market this movie very very Michael Keaton heavy. That I think you, I think that will negate the interest in Michael Keaton coming back as Batman can negate a lot of the questionable Ezra Miller Ezra Miller vibes going into this movie. Yeah. All right, my number one: Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part One. Maybe. <laughs> um, it seems like they've dropped the marketing uh, of including the Part One in that. It, it, uh, I'm I I hope I'm not crazy, and they were at some point referring to this as part one publicly, but um, it is now just titled, uh, at least in the marketing we've seen thus far, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Um, it is directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. Uh, I, because of my enthusiasm for this film, I checked into all not just the cast but the writers and the directors. Joaquin. Uh, produced uh, the Legend of Korra TV series. I know there is a lot of goodwill uh, behind Avatar, the Last Airbender series, as well as the Legend of Korra follow-up. Um, uh, there's lots of love for that series. I've never seen it, but I I do. I'm a part of that world in terms of lots of interests with friends crossover into that. Um, so he produced that. He also produced Superman Shazam, the return of black Adam and the green arrow, Jonah hex and specter shorts that came out several years ago before we got the tomorrow verse that we have now and the direct to DVD DC universe, uh, which those shorts, uh, a lot of people talk about the shorts, how good the shorts were and the Jonah hex inspector ones in particular, but the green arrow one was great too. All three of those were, um, were good. Uh, Kemp powers co-directed soul from disney uh and uh and and justin uh k thompson worked on the original uh spider-man uh uh, spider-verse movie it's written by phil lord christopher miller and dave callahan uh phil and christopher both wrote both of the uh, lego movies uh the original spider-verse movie cloudy with a chance of meatballs as well dave 
uh, Callahan, he wrote Shang, uh, Shang-Chi, Mortal Kombat, Wonder Woman 1984, the 2000, I think it's 16, 2014 Godzilla movie that's kicked off what we have right now, 14. and Expendables 1, 2, and 3. Uh, so that's a, the, the, the Phil Lord Christopher Miller stuff written by the, the Lego movie feel, the Spider-Verse feel, Cloudy with a Chance of Evils. Those are all great films. Um, so it really brings us back into feeling confident that we're going to get a similar feel for the universe that we saw in the first Spider-Verse film. But Dave Callahan being on the, with his credits that I just read off, it's like, what sort of feel are they going for this? That's strange. And then of course we have the original cast, voice cast, including, uh, or rather we're adding Oscar Isaac as, uh, Spidey 2099 Miguel, uh, uh Issa Rae as uh, Jessica Drew Spider Woman. Um, and, uh, I don't know how to say his name right, but Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya, um, who was in the first Black Panther movie, uh, as Wakabi, and then he was also, I, I haven't seen the movie, but I know a lot of people really like Nope. Yep. Uh, he was OJ and Nope. And he is playing, he's the voice of one of the big reasons I'm excited to see this, other than the fact that it's just a con- continuation of Spider-Verse, which I love so much. Uh, he is the voice of Hobby Brown, aka Spider-Punk. And I am so excited to see that character realized, uh, in this film and in this particular type of setting and, uh, and representation that we saw in the first Spider-Verse film. I'm I'm anxious to see this movie. I cannot wait. I'm so I'm so ready for June 2nd. Uh what we saw with the trailer seemed like a lot of fun. It seemed I like I really, really, really don't want to hype it too too much up in my head because as we all know, it can be very hard for something with the success uh and the unexpected relatively unexpected success of the first Spider-Verse film. It can be really hard to recapture that magic, but it really feels like it's just picking right up where it left off. And I can't wait. Um, so I'm super excited, like to the point where, and I left a voicemail to this effect, uh, for one of your episodes that you guys did while I was gone. The Spider-Man into the spy across the Spider-Verse, uh, film, uh, merchandise has already started dropping all over the place. Um, and I knew, I just knew. Uh, that there had to be a Spider-Punk one. Unfortunately, I didn't see it in the wild, but I looked it up on Amazon, and lo and behold, there was a Spider-Punk figure. And uh, I went ahead and ordered that immediately when I saw it on Amazon. So I already have merchandise for this film. I was going through the toy aisle the other day, and I realized they also have a kind of like Nerf gun uh, for this film, uh, or, or for the merchandise for this film, and it's Spider-Punk's guitar, and it shoots little darts out of the tip of it. Um, so I'm already toying if, if I should get that or not, I, cause the, the, the box I saw was obviously a return cause it was taped up and shit. Um, but I'm already toying with if I want to go that full route and have every piece of spider punk merch. Um, this is just going to be an experience for me because I'm already digging the merch. I'm, I, I'm excited about, uh, where it could go. I'm really hoping that I'm just getting excited for this guys. I'm, I'm really hoping that I'm not going to be let down, but it's been a while since I've been worriedly excited about a film in the, in the chance that I really hope I'm not hyping it up so much that I'm going to feel so disappointed when I see it. Um, but I just, there's so much I'm excited for. I can't help it. That's what number one's supposed to be. So that makes, that makes plenty of sense as opposed to mine. So it's good that you're passionate about it. I find, I find it still curious that, uh, Hobie Brown is uh and and one Earth he's Spider Punk and of course he's the Prowler in ours. I find that interesting. 
that he was the original prowler yeah uh hobby brown there's so if you if you guys read uh i think it was edge of spider verse was the pre the series that introduced the individual different spider-man including gwen stacy spider-man uh, spider gwen um there was a there was a story in one of those for a hobby and, and it's the first time I'd, i think it's the first appearance as well but first time you ever read it obviously it's spider punk so it's got a very um punk rock sort of artistic style to it but the plot there was for like for lack of a better term i think um without giving away like super details and stuff essentially osborne was the president of the united states and had figured out how to replicate the symbiote and had equipped the u.s army and stuff with the symbiotes um and he leads like a you know he's you know sends them after uh spider punk and stuff and what is what is one of venom's weaknesses sound so you fight off the symbiote infused army led by president osborne with punk rock (laughs) so there's these massive speakers behind the stage and stuff and they're just rocking out and obviously the sound waves are impacting the symbiotes and so it's just like they're literally fighting with punk rock and that just wasn't they couldn't have been a cooler moment for me and then you take that concept and obviously we're probably not going to see that story or whatever in this in this film but you take the concept that that birth spider punk and you put it in this universe and the potential that we saw from that first film. Oh man, could we have fun with the idea that you can fight with punk rock? <laughs> that is kind of a nice lot and somewhat logical twist. Oh, and the answer to your question is apparently un- unbeknownst to most people. The reason why they're not calling it across the spider verse part one anymore is because they renamed part two beyond the spider verse. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. So that, that explains why all of a sudden they've stopped doing that because they, I guess they decided, well, instead of pro, I don't know if it's just because it makes it more pretentious or maybe just because they figured, you know, the people are kind of like these part ones and part twos don't always, they tend to do okay, but sometimes it just draws it out. So you're better off having it, having a separate name to it. But either way, I just noticed that, yeah, it says be, it says it's across and then beyond, beyond nah. next year. I liked the first movie for what it was. Again, I wasn't, Miles Morales as a character doesn't doesn't do much for me. And this movie seems much more Miles Morales related than Peter Parker related, even though it more than the first one anyway, uh, on the surface. Uh, obviously, I like Haley Steinfeld. I like Haley Steinfeld. I do. To me, Gwen Stacy is still a Peter Parker character and a girlfriend. So I kind of have an issue with that. Just yeah, I know it's a multiverse thing, but I but to me, that's kind of just something that's hard. It's hard to hard to move beyond. It's even more than if it was an M, like MJ with somebody else. To me, it's 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 Gwen it's Gwen Stacy is belongs with Peter, and so it's kind of weird on that level. It's I'm sure it'll be entertaining, and I'm and I will I have no doubt I'm gonna watch it. It's just not it it is on it is on my monkey crap list for that reason because again I have no passion for it, but it should it should be it should be fun and it'll be interest it will be interesting with when they introduce different characters and different Spider-Man characters. Like you said, that could, that could elevate it for me and make it, and make it more interesting. Yeah, for sure. 
All right. Uh, I'm going to just rattle off two of my three pounds of monkey crab because there's only five on that list. And I've already talked about three of them. Flash, Aquaman and Shazam. Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Uh, Inherently, they're going supposedly going a different direction now. The whole Michael Bay of it is gone and all that sort of stuff. Um, So I'm curious to see where we go because I've already seen all the original the the, all the other Transformers movies. Uh, And obviously there's although I didn't watch it as a kid. The the beasts were always were something I did see at least maybe a couple episodes on because I do remember seeing that animation. Uh, So I have some general curiosity there. Um, I'll probably get dragged to see it or probably get it on Voodoo or something because I have all the Transformers movies on Voodoo anyways. Uh, Same with Fast X, Fast 10, whatever we want to call it. Um, I can't remember when I did, so I'm not sure if I've already told you guys, but I have seen all of the Fast and Furious movies now, including Hobbs and Shaw, and I have them on uh, my Voodoo. Um, they had a sale at some point where it was like all of them for like 20, 30 bucks or something. I was like, well, shit, yeah. <laughs> so um, I did that, rewatched the first three, which I'd already seen, and then I watched the, the rest of them. That franchise has done better than you'd expect going the way it did um but it's still in some ways uh a parody of itself at these at this point kind of like how expendables became a, a thing for itself uh doing the same thing i i don't know how long they can they can milk that well but uh i'm curious to see either the fantastic entry to the the film series um where they do something unique and it comes back and it's a good film or just watch the train wreck i don't know what's going to happen but i'm probably going to see it i just wanted to make sure that that was all you had to say my monkey crap list the things that i did not mention uh fast x is on my monkey crap list i think i think nine completely jumped the shark so if you would ask so clearly nine i think was in my nine was probably on my must-see list when it when it opened up and now because of how bad nine was was nine in the rocket car yes it's in space in space yes and john cena and yeah so other than han coming back there was not and and the fact that because of the vin diesel rock thing that we're never going to get hobbs back in which makes no sense when you're trying to finish finish this off and like the last two movies there's no way hobbs shouldn't be part of that so this this is one of those things where again it's frustrating and 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 again regardless of whether a lot of what you hear is not true or not that this is where you have to think that a little bit of ego for the rock has gotten in the way that yeah you may hate vin diesel at this point but again if you're doing it for if you really by caring about your fans you'd realize they'd want to see hobbs back in these movies when they wrap up to doing the last two movies yeah. You could do just what you did when you did uh when you did the the last one that he was in, which was what eight, that they just don't have scenes, they just literally don't film scenes together. There's creative ways you can actually edit people into scenes, but they're not actually in front of each other. But the, but depending how you split the teams up on different missions, you just make sure of in that Hobbs is not working with with Dom and it really isn't a problem. I I understand. I mean again, we're we're not there, we don't know what the beef really is, but that really bothers me as far as it's going to make this it, no matter what, it's going to make this uh, franchise less satisfying. Even if the, the next two movies are surprisingly good that. So there's a dark cloud. I think, I think the ninth one, most people think was a piece of garbage. And I, and I don't know if I have a lot of confidence that 10 is going to be better. 
Uh, Transformers is on my list. Aquaman is on my list. It might have been on my list even before the current DCEU became basically DOA. Jason Momoa is fine. He's not Aquaman. He's playing Jason Momoa, and that's fine. Uh, it'd probably be entertaining, but and I'm sure I'll see it, but that's it. Same thing with Shazam. It looks it looks fine for what it is. I wasn't a huge fan of the first movie. I'll probably know I'll I will see this movie, but I don't really care. Uh, I mentioned TMNT. The Marvels. The Marvels is on this list. I am curious the, about what how Kamala Khan is going to translate onto film. I'm, almost anybody who watched that show liked her, even if they didn't necessarily like the show all that much. And most people I think who watched the show did like it. But, that, but it didn't have his, but a lot of people didn't watch the show. So I, it's the X factor of whether the two characters they're bringing in in theory to help, help the franchise with Monica and Kamala are two characters we've barely seen. And I don't know how many more asses they're going to put in the seats. And Carol Danvers, regardless of what you think about Breed Larson, Carol Danvers is a pretty boring character. So I don't have a lot. I, don't it's hard to be enthusiastic about that movie that they're smart that would be a movie they would will throw something in very very important in for the mcu's future at least for phase five and phase six because anything they can get to draw people in to the movie is a plus so if there's something they have in that movie plot point wise or there's some reveal in that movie that's important going forward that would probably be the most important movie even to put it in even more than ant-man because i think that movie needs the most propping up of any movie on the Marvel slate. My middle of the road, the stuff I, I'll run through this real quick. All of it is, uh, we talked about 65 Oppenheimer, indie Blue Beetle, Knock at the, at the Cabin, as I'm stuttering tonight, I don't know why, shot the Shyamalan movie, Cocaine Bear, just because it looks stupid. John Wick, I've actually only seen one John Wick movie in the theater, so there's a decent chance I'll see the next one, but it's not something I'm pumped for. I have a good person, which is the Florence Pugh Morgan Freeman movie that about loss and and that ties them together and things like that. That I Florence Pugh is good in anything. That's another reason I forgot she was an Oppenheimer. So that that is a reason. That is another potential reason for me to see Oppenheimer too. But I like Florence Pugh in anything, so that's a plus. Evil Dead Rise, the Meg Two, the remake or re- reboot of the Haunted Mansion movie. Just because that's my favorite ride, so maybe, just maybe, they could do do that. Craven, we can't forget Craven supposed to come out this year. Uh, a Haunting in Venice, which will be the third Hercule Poirot, Kenneth Brownhour movie. Expendables four and Dune part two. Uh, blowing through mine real quick. We already talked indie Guardians, Ant Man, Marvels, uh, Blue Beetle. Give me a trailer. I'm a DC fan. Uh, let's let's see what this is gonna be. Um, Harold in the Purple Crown. Very popular kids story. Uh, I had a, I saw it a lot as a kid. Uh, I, I don't have a particular attachment to it, but I'm sure it'll be a fun movie to take my nephew to go see. Um, Gremlins three supposed to be a thing this year. Uh, if you ever saw the first Kung Fury, Kung Fury two is supposed to be a thing. And if you were, if you enjoyed the type of humor that's in Kung Kung the first Kung Fury short, I guess, then uh, how can you not be curious about Kung Fury two? Uh, as a kid, I was way more involved in the church and growing up and stuff to the point where I was nearly like a assistant youth pastor for a long time. I'm no longer going to church for my own reasons. We don't talk about that. Don't need to go into that. 
But I did read all the Left Behind books, and there's supposed to be another Left Behind movie that gets produced, obviously with questionable quality and budget. But I'm just inherently curious. I don't know if I'll actually see it, um, but I am curious. Uh, a couple other things that are supposed to come out. Killers of the Flower Moon is a DiCaprio, Brendan Fraser, Robert De Niro flick. Um, some uh, oil wealthy Osage nation or something. Native Americans are murdered in the 1920s, which sparks an FBI investigation. Uh, I'm I'm curious about that film. Obviously, you talked TMNT briefly. I'm I'm going to be. Um, curious about that just by its nature i love tmnt it was a huge part of my childhood don't need to go into that lord of the rings the war of the rohirrim it's supposed to be an anime uh anime or animated uh, fantasy film and it's the untold story behind helm's deep hundreds of years before the war that we saw in the battle of uh, for helm's deep and the second lord of the rings film uh talking about the king of rohan um that helm's deep was named after helm hammerhand um there's a story, there's a movie coming out called Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is an entire film based on a single chapter of Bram Stoker's Dracula entitled The Captain's Log, which the Demeter is chartered to uh, carry um, from Carpathia to London 24 unmarked wooden crates. So it's the storage of the voyage of the Demeter. Um, so I'm I'm curious how they're going to make a whole movie out of one chapter of Stoker's Dracula. Uh, we know I love musical biopics. A movie coming out this year uh, is called Spinning Gold, which is um, about the co-founder of Casablanca Records, Neil Bogart from the 70s. He discovered Kiss and Donna Summer and the Village People. Uh, so I'm curious to see that film. Uh, and then there's also a movie that's coming out. Uh, in the horror thriller vein, but I was curious by the trailer, so I thought I should mention it. It is called Isaac. Uh, and Isaac is about a reclusive young mortician who inherited his father's mortuary business and then meets Cassie, a friendly waitress. And then the two create an instant connection. And after a night of terror, they pursue a revenge murder together. Um, there also looks to be sort of like a mental thriller behind that, like sort of weird shit happening. And it doesn't hurt that it has Dove Cameron as Cassie in it. And I do love me some Dove Cameron. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's the rest of my list. There's always surprises, but I don't think there's a, there's not a lot that's really exciting me this year. So we'll have to see how it turns out. But I don't, I think I said something similar last year, but I think this crop, this crop might either be either worse or because last year was even more disappointing for a lot of the big ones on my list that maybe it just kind of like soured me a little. I don't, I don't know um, about, I can't remember what my stuff last year was, but the fact that my number two, uh, my, my top two rather are movies I'm going to desperately try to see opening night and i can't i there's no point going into it and telling you my whole thing that i feel now about public spaces and stuff but like i have a significant uptick in my anxiety when i'm being crowded out in places uh not to like a paralyzing effect or anything guys i don't need therapy but i, I just don't like it anymore to the point where i try wherever i can to avoid it including going to grocery stores uh when i don't anticipate there being a lot of people um, but the fact that I'm willing to brave opening nights to see the Mario Brothers movie and Across the Spider-Verse, I, I, I do agree with you that the rest of the lineup is sort of, eh, 
but the fact that my my top two are driving me to the movie theater on opening night at least i have really excited points this year whereas last year i feel everything was sort of i can wait till week two week three to see it no i can i can absolutely see that but i look back at I looked back at my list from last year, and since number one was Doctor Strange and number two was Thor, I think that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> I did have Scream and Halloween Ends, which I know most people wouldn't. Most people would still say Halloween Ends would be right up there with Doctor Strange and Thor, but I actually like Halloween Ends for what it was. So at least, but the, since the first two were such flaming disasters that uh, just crashing and burning, that I think that that kind of makes me makes me a little suspect and i was i was pretty excited for doctor strange too so that's the fact that i'm not as excited for either ant-man or the flash that i guess that concerns me a tad for sure all right this is always a fun episode to do as kick off the year start off the year it's a really good like not a lot of research not a lot of time you have to put into thinking about it uh, obviously, we actually come up with documents where we list stuff out. So we actually take some time to prep for this. But there's not a whole lot of, you know, reading and dissecting and stuff that you have to go into. It's a good, easy episode. And I enjoy that. So if people want to tell us what movies they're looking forward to or what they think of our our lists. Uh, how do they reach out to us? Lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Hashtag geocast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or text, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. If you want our Discord, lanterncast at gmail.com. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night. Chad, you ignorant slut.